Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. If you were here with us the last time, we looked at Galatians 1, 6 through 9, and we looked at the only gospel, the one and only gospel. And if you were here or you listened to that message, you would have heard me list four classes of legalism and then three counterfeit gospels that we can fall into believing. I'm going to summarize those three counterfeit gospels quickly for those of you that weren't here. The first one is the therapeutic gospel. This is the gospel that says the fall of humanity into sin is really just we as humans not fulfilling our potential. It says that Christ's death was merely to show what we as humans are truly worth. And that the church is designed to help us find personal happiness and vocational fulfillment. Those are the false beliefs of this therapeutic gospel. The second false gospel was the judgmentless gospel. This is the gospel that says that God's restoration is more about God's goodness than it is about his judgment on evil or his response to a rebellious humanity. It says that Jesus' death is more about defeating death, sin, and Satan than it is for the need of God's just and holy wrath to be satisfied by his sacrifice. And this gospel causes the boundaries between the church and the world to become blurred to the point that personal evangelism is less urgent and sometimes unnecessary. And then we talked about the moralistic gospel. This gospel says that our sinful condition is seen as the individual sins that you and I commit. And redemption comes through the exercise of our own willpower with God's help. The good news then is spiritual instruction about what we can do to win God's favor and blessing upon our earthly endeavors. The church becomes a place where people who believe like us can affirm each other in keeping the standards of the community. Now we said those three Gospels were false Gospels. I got those from the book Counterfeit Gospels by Trevor Wax. They were three of a list of uh, a large list. But how do we know these Gospels are false? I believe it's true that when Government agencies are looking for counterfeit money. They don't study the counterfeit. They study the true thing in order to be able to pick out the counterfeit. The only way we have the ability to spot a counterfeit gospel is to study and understand the true gospel. And the true gospel is that there is only one good and holy God who created you to be in fellowship with him, to know him, to love him, and to serve him. But we in humanity have sinned, and because of that sin, we have cut ourselves off from him. But in his great love, God became a man in Jesus Christ, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and for all the sins of those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God has accepted his sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf. 
and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He ascended to heaven, presented his sacrifice and his completed work to his heavenly Father, and he now sends his Spirit out into the world to call us to him through this message and to give us the ability to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of, their sin, of our sins. And if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, that we are born again into new life and eternal life with God. That is the only true gospel. Anything that comes short of Christ on the cross for your sins is not a gospel. This is the gospel that Paul preaches. It's the gospel that I preach. And it is the only gospel that has the power to change lives. So today what I want to do is we're going to look at Galatians 1, 10 through 24, and I want to show three things about the gospel. First, I want to show that the gospel is revelation. Second, the gospel is life-changing. And third, that the gospel is God-glorifying. I believe that's what Paul shows us, among other things, but that's what I pulled out of this passage for us this morning. So I'm going to pray again quickly, and then we are going to read the passage, and we're going to walk through this. Father, again, we come before you as we prepare to come to your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Holy Spirit, I ask that you take this word from, your, from the Bible, from my lips, to the hearts, and to the ears, and the ears. Father, help us to apply this word to our lives so that we are not only hearers, but doers of the word, and are not deceived. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Galatians 1, 10-24 For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for fifteen days. But I saw none of, the other, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said of me, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The gospel is revelation. If you look at verses 11, 12, verse 16, and verses 18 through 22, Paul goes out of his way to show us that he's not relying on the teaching of any man to get his gospel. He says it very plainly in 11 
This is not the gospel that I preached was not man's gospel. He didn't receive it from any man, and he wasn't taught it. In verse 16, he says, When God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Uh, in 18 through 22, he says he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas for 15 days. If you ever learn anything new, you can't get very far in 15 days. Paul's not going to Jerusalem even to validate his gospel at this point. He didn't hear or see any of the other churches. But he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 12. And in verse 16 he says, but when he who is God was pleased to reveal his son to me. The word that Paul uses in verse 12, which in my translation is translated revelation, is used in the sense as the communication of a previously of previously hidden knowledge that's revealed to man by a divine or supernatural agency, especially communications that proceed from God or Christ. And it is the same root word that Paul uses in 16, which is translated to reveal, which is to make known information that was previously known either only to a few people or that was hidden, or that was meant to be kept a secret. So what I hear Paul saying in the words that he's choosing to use is, before God revealed the gospel to him, it was a hidden bank of knowledge out there that he in his natural mind did not have access to. It was still present reality, it was still true, but God hadn't shown him yet. He was not able to understand or comprehend it until God had revealed it to him. That's what I believe Paul is saying. I think it's important for us to understand this for a number of reasons. One, I think it's important as we deal with other Christians and even other non-believers that there is the possibility that God has revealed truth to you from his word that he has not revealed yet to others. I'm not saying special revelation outside of scripture, but I'm saying there are truths that some of us can come to hold before God reveals it to others. And there is the potential that non-believers, that God has not opened their eyes yet to the spiritual realities contained in Scripture. I also believe this is why scholars, secular scholars, can study the Scriptures for a lifetime, treat it as nothing more than a book of wonderful literature, and never come to an understanding of who God is through the Scriptures of Jesus Christ. Paul expressly tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16. If you want to read that or turn that, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to highlight two verses. But I want you to read that sometime and listen to what Paul says. He has just come off telling us that the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are living, it is life. And in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians 2, Paul sums up his teaching this way. And we impart the, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is what makes prayer so vital in Evangelism it is what makes prayer so vital in the life of the church. We need the Holy Spirit's help day in 
and day out to come to an understanding of what God has written in his book. If he doesn't open our hearts, if he doesn't open our eyes, we will not understand this. This also means some other things, though. Because the gospel is a revelation, it is God revealing not only himself to us, not only his plan to us, but spiritual truths that are unchanging. Things that we don't have the ability to not believe in. Because God has revealed them to us as truth. And there's a lot of hard doctrines, I understand, that come out of Scripture. There's a lot of things that you and I would never come up with. Which I believe is why Paul says in our, in our text today that this isn't man's gospel. There are things that God has revealed to us that you and I could never dream of. How many of you would ever think to come up with the doctrine of hell? Think about this. I heard a preacher talk about this one time, and he said, I can foresee punishing somebody for a determinate amount of time for the sins that they've committed. And we understand this in our natural, even in our civil government. You commit a crime, there's a penalty, penalty to be paid. The doctrine of hell is an eternal, conscious torment for sins perpetrated against an infinitely holy God. Would you ever think to punish somebody for an eternity? Or even the cross. Think about it. God sent his one and only son to be nailed, a perfect human being, to be nailed to a cross for you and for me. Would you think about that? If you're the firstborn in your family, would you ever think that your father would, would do that? I know I wouldn't think about it. Not only that, think about the conquest of Canaan told in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. That is a truth, that is a reality that God told the nation of Israel to do. We can't brush this aside. I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but there have been some things in Christendom where we're being told that we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament scares people away. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God says, I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have to come to understand that the truth that is revealed to us in Scripture is not something that we can choose to ignore or choose to believe based on the implications of it. What about Ananias and Sapphira killed for lying about the sale of their land? I believe God was sending a message to the church through Ananias and Sapphira. If you're going to lie to me, it's going to cost you your life. That's what happened. They said they sold it for X. When they really sold it for Y, they lied to the apostles and they were killed on the spot instantly by God. That's hard for us to comprehend. But it is the truth of God revealed in the scriptures. But not only are there hard truths to understand, I think there's glorious truths to understand that we have a very difficult time coming to think in our minds. I know I do. Think about this. Galatians 3.26 says that you, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that means, according to Romans 8, we are co-heirs with Christ of an eternal kingdom, presently. Right this moment, God, through Jesus, is in heaven preparing a place for you and for me. 
We are guaranteed an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable, according to Matthew 6, 19 and 20, that is unfading, according to Revelation 21, 5. And we have been sealed with the Spirit who is the promise of our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I believe some of the difficulty that we have coming to understand this is because of the sinfulness that is still within us. We don't think we're worthy of what God is preparing for us. And the truth of the matter is, we're not. That is what makes the cross of Christ so glorious. Christ came and purchased all of that for you. And that is a revealed truth that we need to come to understand. Part of helping us to understand this, I believe, like I said earlier, is prayer. We need to pray with David in Psalms 119 that he would, that God would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. For we are soldiers on this earth, and we are asking him to hide not his commandments from us. We need to be praying that not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that God would begin to open our eyes to not only the hard truths of Scripture that he's revealed to us, but the glorious truths of Scripture that he has revealed to us. I don't know if you've noticed or not, out on the Welcome Center, there is a prayer prompt that was put out there several weeks, maybe a month or so ago. That is helping us to do just this. It's two prayers from Paul, one in Ephesians and one in Colossians. That it was my plan for those that we would pray, if not daily, at least weekly, over the church directory. That's why it's so small and has a nice three-hole punch in it. You can put it right in the front of your directory. You can pray this over yourself. You can pray over the entire directory. You can go day by day through, I think it's nine people at a time, get through the whole directory once a week. You pray over nine sheets of paper at a time. We can be praying these, this scripture over our church family day in and day out so that, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we give thanks to God for each other always, remembering in our prayers and praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That revelation is the exact same word that Paul uses in Galatians, that he would reveal to us hidden knowledge that is only in the scriptures. That we would have the hearts of our, the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I say it again, we can't come to that understanding apart from God revealing it to us. So we need to be in prayer for ourselves and one another, that God would reveal to us what he has revealed to Paul through the scriptures. Not only is the gospel revelation, but I believe the gospel is also life-changing. Look at verses 13 through 16. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. It says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In verse 23, he says, The church had not heard of him. All they knew was he who used to persecute the church is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. 
Paul's life before his conversion was one of an active persecution of the church and of Christ himself, as we read in Acts 9. Christ confronts Paul on the road. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my church, not my people. Why are you persecuting me? Not only did he actively persecute Christ, but he approved of and was what I call the coat check at Stephen's execution. Paul considered himself to be the foremost of sinners, according to 1 Timothy 1.15. But after his conversion, he began to preach the faith that he once tried to destroy. This is a very vivid example of what true repentance and a true gospel experience looks like. Now, true repentance is a 180 degree from sin. And while your conversion and my conversion may not look this drastic on the inside, I want us to see that the spiritual condition that we were in is just as drastic as Paul did. You and I were equally as cold and had an equally cold and dead heart towards God as Paul did. It didn't physically manifest itself in the way that it did in Paul, but that's only by the grace of God that we are all not like Paul. This is one of those hard truths that we need to come to grips with. Isaiah 59, if you want to write these down. Isaiah 59, 1 through 13. Romans 3, 10 through 18. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Are all passages of scripture that depict the reality of the human condition apart from Christ. And it is not easy to read those passages and to read yourself into those passages but this is one of those hard truths that we need to come to understand if we are truly going to come to understand what the gospel of Christ is. There was a 17th century pastor named Thomas Watson who wrote a treatise on what repentance looks like. I'm going to walk through that quickly. But in it he lists six different ingredients for genuine repentance. And the first is a sight of sin. If you were downstairs in the Sunday school class, Warren brought this up. We are reflecting Christ. But if we are sinful, if we don't come to understand how ugly and how dirty sin is, we will not reflect Christ properly. So at the sight of sin, do we believe the Bible's teaching on our sinful condition? Or are these passages that I just listed about other people? Do you, do I see myself in light of those passages apart from Christ. If not, I don't believe that we will ever come to fully grasp what Christ did for us on the cross. Number two, the second ingredient for genuine repentance is sorrow over sin. Do we pray like David did in Psalms 51, broken and contrite over our sin? Because of its sinfulness? Or are we broken because of the pain that we experience because of our sin? God wants us broken because of our sin. Psalms 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God needs to drag you down in order for you to look up to Christ. He needs you to see, he needs me to see what I am so that I can understand the glory of Christ hanging on the cross. The third ingredient is a confession of sin. 
Confession should focus on oneself and one's own sin. It should not look to mitigate, excuse, rationalize, or blame. We are never past the point of needing to confess our sins, but we have this marvelous promise in 1 John that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So is repentance just a one-time, is confession just a one-time thing you do at the beginning of your life and then you just continue to live your Christian life out? Or do you confess your sins daily as you need to? Do you repent of your sin daily? Because we all stumble and we all fall. I know I do. So how do you view repentance? How do you view confession of sin? Once and done? Or is your life marked by confession? Number four, shame of sin. Watson said that blush is the color of virtue. That comes out of Ezra 9, 6, where Ezra says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Christ died for that sin. Christ willingly clothed himself in your sin. And became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He died for that little white lie that we told yesterday. That you just do, that I do, that we all do, that we don't think about. He died for that juicy piece of gossip you shared last week, yesterday, this morning, whenever it was. Are we ashamed at that? This morning downstairs, we looked at Colossians 3. We looked at the put-on portion of Colossians 3, but we didn't look at the put-off portion of Colossians 3. Read the put-off portion of Colossians 3. Are those are our lives marked by those things? Or are they things that we actively fight against in our daily life, in our daily walk with Christ? Are we ashamed to say, Lord, gospel is a part of my life? And I'm ashamed of that. God, lust is a part of my life. God, hatred is a part of my life. And I need you to deliver me from this. Number five, a hatred of sin. Your own sin first, not other people's sin. And there's a good test to know if you hate your sin first or other people. And a good test for this is, are you right now thinking of somebody else who you wish were here hearing this? Or are you taking notes for yourself? Are you wishing, oh, I wish my ex was here. I wish whoever that person is was here. I wish my neighbor were here to hear this. Or are you saying, Lord, please show me where this is me. Please reveal my heart to myself so that I can repent of my sin. So that I can hate my sin. And number six is a turning from sin. Ezekiel 14, 6 says, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn your away your faces from all of your abominations. Repentance means little if it does not result in reformation. But this last ingredient is the hardest. It is the part that takes the longest, and it is the most excruciating for all of us involved. 
This last ingredient of turning from sin is what sets true repentance apart from false repentance, and it is the demonstration that a gospel transformation has taken place. Genuine repentance is not behavior modification. It is not looking good on the outside, but yet on the inside, and when I'm in secret, and when I'm by myself, slipping right back into those sins I've just confessed and repented of. Genuine repentance is a term from sin that we see in Paul right here in Galatians. This is difficult. And right now, my prayer, honestly, is that we can see how impossible this is on our own. This is why the gospel of my last point is a God-glorifying gospel. There is no way on earth you can do what I just laid out on your own. That's why the gospel needs to be revelation. God needs to reveal your sinfulness to you. He needs to reveal my sinfulness to me. And then through Christ and through his spirit, he needs to give me the power to work on these six steps. He needs to give you the power to work on these six steps. Which is why the gospel is God glorifying. Paul says that the church has glorified God because of him. I don't believe what Paul means is that the churches were saying, wow, Paul, you're amazing. Wow, Paul, you're a really good preacher. Wow, Paul, I can't believe the change you made in your life. That's not what, that's not what the churches were glorifying God about. I believe the churches are glorifying God because they saw this persecutor of the church. They saw what Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And they saw a complete 180 in him. It's like, wow, God, if you can reach that guy, there's nobody you can't reach. That's why God was glorified glorified in Paul's conversion. Not because of anything Paul did, but because of what God did in Paul. And it is the same thing that that God does in you. It's the same thing that that God does in me. It is the same thing that God does in any sinner who turns to Christ. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from your idols, I, this is God speaking, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Guys, this is the cleansing of the new heart and the new spirit that is possible only because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It is possible only because God died for you and Christ died for me. These are the gospel-driven virtues that we talked about downstairs this morning. These things are only possible because of Christ's sacrifice. And I said earlier, this is, this is foolishness to the world. Right before I read in, Colossians, or in 1 Corinthians 2, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Another reason why the gospel is God glorifying. 
Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in anything. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If you're saved this morning, it's because of God. If you are progressing in your sanctification, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in your life to move you from where you were into what God has called you to be. So it is for this reason that I, like Paul, have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I would have nothing else to preach. I would have nothing else to teach. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray over us as Jay comes from. We're going to sing the song, All Glory Be to Christ. If you have anything on your heart that you need to get off of your heart, please come forward and do that. If you have something you need to repent of, please do that today. You don't know what tomorrow holds. James asks this question, what is your life? And then he answers it, that you are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Tomorrow's not guaranteed for you. Tomorrow's not guaranteed for me. So if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for the revelation that you have given to us. Thank you for the revelation that you have given to Paul. You have shown to us through your word what is true of us apart from Christ. And Father, I ask now that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that apart from you, we can do nothing. God, that we need you in every aspect of life. And Father, that as we are broken by you and as you break our spirits and you give us the humility to fall on our faces before you, Father, that you have promised to forgive us of our sins if we confess our sins. And Jesus, I thank you for being willing to come to this earth, to leave your throne, to be clothed in human flesh, to walk this earth, to know what it means to be human, to be tempted just as we are yet sinless. Jesus, I thank you for going to that cross on my behalf. I thank you for being willing to be hung on a cross to suffer and to even while dying say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. To be buried and to raise three days later to show me that death has no power over me anymore. And to know that the power that raised you from the dead is now living in me and is now causing me to be moved from one degree, degree of glory to another. So, Father, I pray if there's anybody here who needs to repent, for anybody here who needs to experience your grace for the first time, for the tenth time, for the hundredth time, Father, that everybody else would disappear and it would just be you and us individually, and we would come from and that we would confess those things that we need to confess and repent of the sin that we need to repent of.
so that your Holy Spirit can take up presence in our lives and can change us from the inside out. I pray all these things in the matchless and worthy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.